Another barrier I believe that we're addressing is is uh, access to capital. And it's not so much the access to capital, it's the way that we need to uh, make sure that the capital is available for disadvantaged entrepreneurs. And how do we do that? And Forward Cities is helping us lead that way, along with also uh, ways on increasing procurement opportunities for disadvantaged entrepreneurs. So I really look forward to um, being able to um, have this map in place and being able to drive um, down the road so that we can definitely make this a success for our region and hopefully it becomes a model for some of the other Forward City community throughout the country. was tasked was to really find out more about um, some of the entrepreneurs from distressed communities and to find out exactly what they needed. I have everybody that I need, you know what I mean? Like uh, people have skills and gifts in this network. Um, I just want to pay them. Welcome to Forging Forward, the official podcast of Forward Cities. I'm your host, Raja Satterwhite, Communications Manager for Forward Cities. Forward Cities is a national nonprofit equipping communities and regions to grow and sustain more equitable entrepreneurial ecosystems. episode, we will be taking a deeper dive into the Developing Equitable Entrepreneurial Ecosystem, or E3 Network in Pittsburgh. Throughout this episode, you will hear the term E3 or E3 Network. In short, it refers to our ecosystem's approach that aligns diverse entrepreneurial supporters and collaborative culture. Through our network, Ford Cities has developed a vibrant community of practice of innovators, social entrepreneurs, and socially motivated funders to help support the learning and exploration of wealth building strategies and ways of thinking. Our council-based program model convenes and aligns partners in efforts to identify and address barriers, providing tools to assess ecosystem health over time. Today, we will be talking with three different ecosystem builders who are building an E3 network in Pittsburgh. Up first, we have Juan Garrett, Executive Director at the Riverside Center for Innovation, followed by Bernard Alexander, entrepreneur and entrepreneur champion. He is also a resource navigator for Ford Cities and Pittsburgh. He founded the Minority Network Exchange and CKV Suites, a co-working event space. Last but not least, we will be talking with Camille Scantling, entrepreneur and entrepreneur champion in Pittsburgh. She is the founder and CEO of Cocopreneur, a directory for Black businesses throughout Pittsburgh and PA. 
morning. My name is Juan Garrett. I'm the executive director of Riverside Center for Innovation, located here in the city of Pittsburgh. Riverside Center for Innovation is a small business incubator located on Pittsburgh's North Shore. Um, and we focus and target on women, minorities, and all other disadvantaged entrepreneurs. Um, Riverside Center for Innovation, we are one of the lead agencies partnering and collaborating with four cities to help build an MWDBE entrepreneurial ecosystem within our region. And so how did you discover Four Cities? Like what was your path to be introduced to Four Cities organization? And I know you're not new to like ecosystem building, um, but what was your path to finding Forward Cities and kind of those cross? Sure, our, our path um, to uh, find Forward Cities was really through our local foundation community. And uh, they were very interested in helping um, bring in Forward Cities as a consultant to help us build this ecosystem. So since I've met uh, Forward Cities representatives, Chris and all the others that we work with, it was probably well over two and a half years where I got invited to one of its to one of the national conferences in Durham, North Carolina, and we've been participating ever since. And in the city of Pittsburgh, actually became a host city. I think in 2018 or 19, which was an incredible event to be a part of to help um, this really uh, national conference, bringing it to Pittsburgh to understand what our ecosystem is, is today. And hopefully we can measure what that would look like in five years from now. Um, and so could you speak a little bit more to what some of the barriers were to entrepreneurship um, in Pittsburgh before Forward Cities even? Sure. A lot of the one of the biggest barriers that we I think we had in our region is there's several entrepreneur support organizations that are locally here, but many of us began to work in silos and we never really knew who each other were. So we were able to build this um, our E3 network and identifying um, those entities that had our mission focus with the same goals on helping uh, disadvantaged entrepreneurs on becoming successful and helping them on a path to grow our region here in Pittsburgh. So that was one of the biggest barriers. And so you're working on the minimal viable solution of creating an equitable entrepreneurial ecosystem. Um, and so how does that solve for some of those barriers you just mentioned as far as like access to capital, working in silos? Sure. Um, one of the things is for access to capital, um, we are identifying the different various sources of access to capital. And our goal is I'm hoping that you know, in entrepreneurship, there are different stages of entrepreneurship. I think once we approve our plan about access to capital, then it will become, when does the investments fall under and dovetail the stages of entrepreneurship? There's different levels of entrepreneurship where capital should be infused, in, especially in minority-owned firms, whether it's equity or loans and who makes sense. Um, right now, I think those same things, just as the, um, the support organizations operated in silos. I think sometimes locally, the uh, uh, funding sources also work a little bit. They work to get collaboratively but they don't work together, I think, in being able to say, this is when 
the city's program should be implemented. And here's when the county comes in, here's when the CDFI funds, and this is when lending should kick in. And some of those early stage programs, such as Kiva Pittsburgh, who happens to be housed at RCI, and some of the other support organization funding sources. When does it make sense for entrepreneurs to receive these equity injections in their firms um, so that we can make sure that they grow appropriately? And we know that um, entrepreneurs are more successful when they have those connections and are able to have a network of support. Um, how does your work like directly impact that creating those connections for entrepreneurs directly? Sure. Um, and here with Riverside, what we've been able to do is connect those entrepreneurs to the other uh, E3 networks uh, support organizations. Um, we know that there's two organizations, Community Forge and uh, Greater Pittsburgh Circles, and even on our own, they come in at different uh, stages where RCI is located at. And then we wanted to be able to help build those companies and access other markets. That's when the Institute of Entrepreneurial Excellence uh, University of Pittsburgh should come in to help those companies put a growth strategy action plan. So we have uh, being able to understand, you have to have a support system put in place. What are those early support systems that need to be in place for an individual who may be low income and is afraid to take that next step, but has a great idea or a, a, a hobby or something that we see that can generate funds and create micro businesses and enterprises in our region. So being able to make sure we connect them with those opportunities to provide that support organization and then to be able to turn around and help them with contracting opportunities. Who corporately, uh, who are the corporate officers and procurement officers, if, even if it is just bath soaps. If someone's just making bath soaps, how do we make sure that they're able to get their gift baskets as potential contract opportunities with some of the local corporations who are always sending to people who retire, to their, any of their clients? How do we match those entities up with those contracting opportunities? So our work is gonna be cut out for us this time uh, uh, in, the, in the racial injustices that are happening in our country today, I think we have an opportunity to capture off of that and being able to put in a system to let folks know that Pittsburgh, we're very unique and we have some really great entrepreneurs. Um, and it's actually a city of entrepreneurs. Uh, when you look back at the history, you have George Washington, George Westinghouse, um, uh, George Ferris, we created the Ferris wheel. How many companies did Westinghouse spin out? It'd be great to know what those are. So we've always been entrepreneurial. So now it's time for us to be able to capture that and spread the wealth and create it for all. And you made a great point. Um that I was going to ask you about, about uh, the movements for racial equity and justice. Uh, how has that impacted your work, especially with you know, the dual pandemics of COVID and uh, just the racial climate we have in this country? Like, how has that impacted your work? Sure, I, you know, I really see um, some of the analysis that we've been looking at at our disadvantaged entrepreneurs, how they've been able to pivot. Um, a lot of the companies and, and, and many minority firms just being able to grow, just being disadvantaged all their lives, have been able to take 
different ideas and be able to pivot. Now it's time for us to be able to capture off of those opportunities to really make them valid uh, business opportunities for them. A point of history, you know, when Jitney services were real big in minority and African-American communities, now everybody thinks Uber and Lyft are the greatest things in the world. Jitney services have been going around in since the 70s. And then, you know, if we were able to take those technologies and put it on an app, Jitney services were something that came out of um, necessity for African-Americans to be able to get around in different neighborhoods. So we're seeing people collaborate on delivery services with their the pandemic, on um, being able to get their food to the clients. Um, one of the things that we've been able to educate a lot of our vendors who are restaurant owners. So if you have your business plan and you come through these uh, formalized and customized uh, entrepreneurial training programs, these are some of the things that we teach our entrepreneurs is to understand what are various revenue streams. So you have that plan and you were able to pivot. And then um, again, back to our caterers where they were able to get together and then reach out to um, after school programs to be able to deliver those food to the kids during the summertime. And so there was a collaboration. So how do we capture off of that and help continue to build these types of systems and partnerships to continue to move um, our DBEs forward in our region? So you also speak of just like being able to pivot in this time. Um, how, how have you had to do that as someone who is an ecosystem builder, someone who's serving entrepreneurs directly? Like how have you personally had to pivot? Sure, we've been able to pivot. Uh, one of the things that we're creating here in our, our, our organization is, is we waited to look at all these virtual platforms. And now we're putting a series together on becoming a digital citizens. Um, and incorporating these technologies in businesses um, where we're talking about the basics, first of all, when you're at home, uh, you need to have the appropriate internet speed and connections, at least a laptop or some sort of uh, technical device. Printers are things. But some of the things that we're trying to um, really design, what we're calling Tech Tuesdays, Tech Tuesday Talks um, is really being able to help companies understand, especially in barbershops and hair salons and some of these other places, and even restaurants and caterers, these cashless apps. What do, how do you implement some of these technologies in your business? Also being able to understand the, the importance of cybersecurity now in your corporation and what other technologies can you use to help grow your company. For instance, we do a lot of work with construction companies and how do we bring in the technology of drone services to help those companies in this construction area. Also, there's also another opportunity if you're a security firm, then you could bring in the drone services to help monitor those types of facilities where people don't even leave need to leave their home. So you're taking the technology of having a physical security person on a space who may not feel comfortable because of the pandemic and all these other things, but being able to capture off of these technologies and using drones to be able to capture the images that you need. And how do we partner together and think about ways and solutions we can address some of these social unrest. First, we all got to get into the room to understand this is a problem, but how do we take technology and how do you use what we know as knowledge and being able to be able to help address and come up maybe with some potential new solutions on some of these things that are happening in the country today. Um, some great points, thank you. 
Um, and speaking of solutions, I wanted to know more about uh, where are we in Pittsburgh's uh, E3 network building that, like, where are we in that process? Like, what would you, what stage? In our E3 network, we're in the process of bringing on a new director of ecosystem building and entrepreneurship. Um, so hopefully we can have someone on board uh, within 30 days and um, we'll uh, continue to expand our navigator systems. Um, we've, uh, we have our E3 network um, put in place. Uh, we've identified six additional mission-focused firms that we should invite into this network um, and understand where we are. Let's identify those pillars and figure out where uh, each of these entities fill in in those stages of entrepreneurship. Also, Forward Cities is also leaving the other side, which we're creating is the C3 network, which um, engages in financing and procurement opportunities so that we can play that bridge, as we said, as RCI to be able to capture the correct and capable entrepreneurs to start looking at ways to get contracting opportunities. And how do we get corporations and government agencies to get this buy-in? It's gonna take work to get buy-in on here, but I think this is the time where people can see this is maybe one of the first times we are actually building a system and you have people at the table who do this work every day, providing those um, opportunities for um, them to sit at the table or to express their voice to help build this system. Instead of always having leadership trying to do it, it I think it's coming both ways. You have the grassroots efforts, then you have leadership and you're coming down, um, you're building to one another. One's coming up and one's coming down. So I think this is gonna be something that's gonna be really unique. And with the right partners, we'll be able to develop this system down the road and and it's not something that you could fix overnight um, there was a problem for decades and so now i think we have the first steps and opportunities to build a system which may take four five maybe even ten years but the system will be built so um, we could address those types of issues and moving forward um, and really growing a, an inclusive region um, here in pittsburgh and we as the ecosystem builders need to make sure that we include um, support organizations that can also help us reach those populations as well. We don't want to forget anyone again. Um, so that's why it's, it's really important that we sit down and as we continue to meet monthly or even um, as teams together, um, being able to make sure that we can capture, and like you said, these different slang terms uh, that people use in the community, we need to be able to just make sure that people understand it's not offensive, but it's, it's just something that's in this culture. And so we all need to be able to understand that. And um, that was one of the things I think that we learned early on through the abide training that was offered at Forward Cities. And I, and I, and I have to say, that's probably one of the best trainings that we uh, as an organization have participated in. We have participated all of our staff has gone through the implicit bias local trainings um, but I think abide is something that a lot of the entrepreneurs support organizations should be a part of as well to understand what those cultural uh, uh, differences are and being able to know how do you can address it so that you're not insulting someone you and you don't realize that you are so I think there are some really good recommend recommendations that will come down the road from this um, collaboration
For listeners who don't know, Forward Cities provides a capacity building workshop cultivating a culture of access, belonging, inclusion, diversity, and equity, or ABIDE, for communities to better understand and address systemic issues that lead to inequity. The other win would be is putting in an access to capital and a financial lending uh, system that is has been antiquated for years. How do we make sure that it's fair across all the board? How does that staple community, staple business in the minority community, a barbershop, um, to be able to come in and say, hey, we need to buy the building that we're in so that we can have ownership of this street so that we can make sure when decisions are being made in our community that we have a voice at the table to say, hey, we are not here for gentrification anymore in our communities, which seems to have happened in many of the regions. I mean, that's probably a national thing as well, is how do we make sure that ownership, property ownership, gets into the hands of minority entrepreneurs so that they could be a part of the table to move those cities economically forward. And those are the goals that I think once we're able to have those conversations and say, hey, go to this business, and they just happen to be Black owned. So um, please, everybody, please stay together and uh, we can um, be able to make sure our regions throughout this country are able to address um, entrepreneurial uh, opportunities for uh, minority-owned entrepreneurs. Thank you so much, Mr. Garrett. Sure, thank you, Raja. And now, Bernard Alexander entrepreneur and founder of the Minority Exchange and resource navigator for Forward Cities. Welcome to the show, Bernard, and can you introduce yourself to everyone listening today? Thanks for having me here today. My name is Bernard Alexander, and I am a um, navigator for Forward Cities, um, Pittsburgh. And could you tell us a little bit more about what is a navigator? What are you navigating and for who? So that's a great question, and I feel like my answer have evolved over the last few months. Ford Cities, along with some other entrepreneur support organizations, ESOs, and Western PA, are working together to help build Pittsburgh's Black business ecosystem. And so I feel like my role as the navigator is similar to a point guard playing basketball. So my role is to assist the entrepreneurs with any type of resource or connections that they need to help them start, expand, or grow their business. And I know that's an invaluable resource and service for entrepreneurs, especially when you aren't necessarily connected or don't know where to start? A lot of the early work, um, which was tasked, was to really find out more about um, some of the entrepreneurs from distressed communities and to find out exactly what they needed. So how do you see your role playing? Like, how have you been able to help people, especially as we have, like, both the pandemic and the like social uprise for racial justice and with racial equity, like how have you been able to support people as well, like through that, like entrepreneurs specifically? 
beginning of 2020, there was a lot of conversation in Western PA whether or not folks were being connected to these resources, especially minority-owned businesses. And the overwhelming consensus is that a lot of Black businesses, a lot of brown businesses had a hard time being connected to resources and to through opportunities through local ESOs. And um, to further explain, I, I found that doing, um, doing the work since the beginning of the year, that it was not as hard as I initially thought to get um, a lot of folks connected to the opportunities. Um, more often than not, I would say like 75, 80% of the time, if a person made contact, uh, whether it was direct contact through myself or if they made contact on their own that they received. What happened was, as we were doing that um, early round of research, then COVID happened. And so when in mid-March, everything pretty much shut down in Western PA. And to the entrepreneur's credit, and also to the local um, entrepreneur support organizations, they found a way to still work with a lot of existing and new entrepreneurs. And some of the good things that's come out of COVID-19 is funding, maybe from the government, funding from uh, foundation, the foundation community started flooding more some of the local entrepreneur support organizations. So they were able to create more programs that are rolling out now that um, help entrepreneurs, you know, get started or to get access to different types of resources. So even though there's a lot of, um, I think the numbers between 40 to 50% of businesses that will probably close or have closed as a result of COVID-19 that there are a lot of supports out here today for the organizations who are kind of fighting and you know struggling through to make sure that their doors don't close getting connected to resources keeping the doors open what are some of the other barriers or trends you're seeing as far as like needs of entrepreneurs great question um if you ask the entrepreneur, um, most entrepreneurs, and especially in the midst, midst of COVID, um, the number one struggle that entrepreneurs um, are dealing with is access to capital. In addition to that, a lot of consumers that were looking to support small businesses, neighborhood businesses, black and brown businesses in the midst of COVID, I think there was a much more of an intentional effort from the communities in general. So I, I think that's uh, have been very helpful. On the flip side, um, a lot of folks who I know who have um, storefront businesses have been suffering a lot. And that includes uh, folks who own restaurants and bars and different things like that. And um, some of the more successful ones have been ones who have been able to pivot and add different layers to their business. What advice, um, as far as like tools or practices, could you provide to other uh, resource navigators who are working in other ecosystems? 
it's very important that they learn if they don't who the players are in their community who the entrepreneur support organizations are and what they provide and now camille scantling entrepreneur and founder of cocopreneur Hi, Camille, and could you introduce yourself to our audience? Hi, I am Camille Scantling. I am founder of Copopreneur PGH, which is a Black business consultancy for the greater Pittsburgh area. Um, I generally consider myself uh, a Black business advocate. Awesome. And could you speak a little bit more to what you do specifically? So you consult with businesses, you say your business advocate, how are those two characteristics of your business? How do they work in the community of Pittsburgh? So the consulting aspect isn't so much for the businesses themselves. It's more for larger organizations who can play a role in making sure that the ecosystem is more equitable for black entrepreneurs. So that's really where the consulting piece comes in. The cornerstone of Copopreneur and kind of the first initiative is the black business directory. So what I, the, the big thing that I was able to deliver for black businesses was a space where people could find their business when they were looking specifically to find black businesses. So the Copopreneur directory um, is kind of the tool that's really for them, right? It's for people to be able to find them, help them generate revenue. It also helps some of the larger philanthropic organizations, larger corporations find businesses to do contracting for them, supplier diversity uh, initiatives they might have. They can use Copopreneur to fill with the businesses that are housed there. Uh, so that's a lot of what goes on. Moving forward, I would absolutely like to get more into the ecosystem building part of this and really start to design what the relationship looks like between Black entrepreneurs and society in general, specifically for this region, but that could always be applied in different cities with similar demographics and, and just circumstances. But that's kind of what I'm looking to get into going forward is, is really making some um, really large umbrella changes that are going to trickle down all the way through the system, all to benefit uh, Black folks in general, uh, but, you know, starting with Black entrepreneurs. I love that. Um, that is serving the entrepreneurs and, um, like you said, the larger corporations who are looking to diversify and create equitable opportunities. Um, so it really sounds like you are what we at Forward Cities would call an entrepreneurial champion, which is someone who is looking to create that systems change so that equity is built into um, ecosystem building for entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship. So I appreciate your work and I appreciate you uh, joining us today to share a little bit more about your experience um, in building the directory. Like you said, making those systems changes. And so how has business changed for you recently uh, with the pandemic, with uh, larger movements for social and racial equity and justice? How has business changed for you? Cocopreneur started with social injustice being catalyst, right? When I started Cocopreneur in 2015, it was after about a year of witnessing innocent Black people be brutalized, killed, harassed, terrorized. Um, and I was old enough to really recognize it for what it was. So Cocopreneur was an answer to that. It's kind of like, you know, if the larger 
organizations, corporations, companies are not going to say anything about what's happening to Black people, and we are some of the biggest spenders in this country, I'm going to withdraw my money, and I'm going to encourage other people to withdraw their money from the system, because we know in America, money talks. So with that, I realized that if I'm asking people to withdraw their support from these larger stores, I have to give them the alternative. So, so what is there if you can't go to, you know, some of the big box stores, your own neighborhood stores, you know? So then once I realized that the neighborhood stores needed help with capacity and knowing some of like those very boring business acumen type things, that became a thing too. So in the work that I did starting Cocopreneur, that just moved into what's happening now with COVID and the pandemic, with more social unrest, is just meeting needs where they are. So the moment that a need comes up, it's like, okay, I see that, you know, businesses need to find a way to transition into online sales and an online presence. How can I jump into that and make sure that they have what they need? That's that business that's the Black business advocacy part. Anything that people need to survive and thrive, I want to be there. I want to be there saying, I, I, I don't forget about Black businesses over here now. <laughs> you know, So that's really where I come in. And that's generally what happens. It's like having conversations with people and they're talking about the region and some of the small businesses, but small business to them could mean a business with 100 employees. It's not what we're talking about here when we're talking about some of our smaller mom and pops. No, you're leaving them out. So my role is always to interject and say, okay, well, consider this. You know, you have this demographic of people. They have this history in this country that is completely different from everybody else. So when you talk about all of the tools and resources you want to give and you talk about the expectations for a business, once you give them certain assistance, keep in mind that Black people in America have a totally different experience from most other demographics of people. The only people who probably were treated worse than Black people were Indigenous people, which could also be the same. So, I mean, like, you have all of these things to consider and they don't generally think of that. I'm always there to say, okay, let's not leave out the people who you've been leaving out for the past 400 years. Let's not keep, continue that, right? Um, and I think now is um, a time when people are listening, or at least they have to pretend to listen. <laughs> but it gives room to have more needs met for the people who I serve. You know, so it's it's a it's a weird weird time. It's terrible because in actuality it's terrible, but it also makes yelling for help more heard. You know, so it's it's a weird catch-22. What other needs um, have been present or have been changing or have they been the same needs and just exacerbated? They, they've basically been the same and exacerbated. I think the online piece is new. There were some people who never really thought it was necessary to have a website. You know, they were brick and mortar. They had great foot traffic. But with business interruptions due, due to COVID, that changed everything for them. Um, that was a really, really new piece. But I think a lot of the other things were always there. And I, it was a snowball. So, you know, people might not, you know, maybe they feel like they can do their business taxes on their own, right? So either they lose money in doing their own taxes, or they can't stay up on quarterly taxes the way they're supposed to. So PPP, when it was released, 
a lot of people didn't have their financial records in order in order to be able to submit, right? So it was like this delay with that because then there was this huge backlog from local organizations trying to help people put their finances together in order to apply, but it did delay it for a lot of folks. A lot of that has to do with, and this is why history and context matters. Um, black businesses were not able to obtain loans from banks the same way everybody else could, right? Or at rates that were um, at the, the same market as everybody else. So they crowdfunded, they used friends and family, you know, maybe they used a CDFI, but they didn't use a traditional bank. So the relationship that they may have had going into a bank, sitting with a loan officer, talking about getting a business loan, going through this process, that's not there for a lot of people. Uh, so when it was time to go for PPP, they couldn't call up a, a banker and say, hey, Bill, you know, can you help walk me through my application for this PPP loan? that wasn't there for them. So there was this huge disconnect. Um, and that's the systemic part that people always talk about. When people talk about systemic racism, that's what they're talking about. It's not you being a bigot outwardly and calling somebody the N-word. It's not so much that. It's the systems doing the work of white supremacy, right? Because it was built that way and it just works very well. And all of the larger institutions tend to have that systemic part of it trickle through all of the smaller systems. All of their smaller companies, their subsidiary companies, their partners, they have the same policies, they have the same practices. So all of those things affect Black people the same way, which is, is, is sometimes hard for people to identify, right? If they, if they don't know what to look for. They think it's user error, right? They think it's something wrong with, with the people. It's not the people, it's the systems, it's the processes. Uh, they were built and designed a very specific way, you know, but you, you have to know where to look. So that, that part of it is like, that's tough too, because you, you literally have to like redesign entire systems without scaring people and making them think that they will then be on the short end of the stick. It's, it's really tough. So knowing that we have to have this systems change, what are some smaller steps those companies and organizations who made this pro those promises in spring to support more black and brown other underserved entrepreneurs what are some steps they can start taking now to mm -hmm. you know act on those promises but also start to create smaller changes that may not even be systematic changes but at least changes either within their practices or in how they serve or show up they need to listen <laughs> like they need to listen to folks, specifically Black folks, bringing consultants who are Black to talk about racial inequities, to talk about diversity training. I'm not understanding how you have a white man lead a diversity training. Like somebody needs to make it make sense. You need to listen to people when they tell you that something is wrong. Incorporate more people into your system. If you have people who sit at the C-suite the C -suite level, Black folks, um, who have a proven track record of being equitable themselves, being part of initiatives around diversity, equity, inclusion. And that doesn't have to be why they're there. They can be in any role, but they need to also understand how to bring everybody into an equation when you're talking about providing solutions for folks. Uh, bring them in, listen to them. That's something, that's not even you necessarily changing an entire system. It's just putting perspectives in that you have never thought about before making sure that I'm, it's it's really wild to me that they people will say we have a diverse board 
do you have people from the LGBTQI community on your board, right? People who have no problem identifying as such, you make it comfortable for them to identify as such. Do you have black women? Do you have black men? Do you have young people on your boards? Like, do you have people who have their ear to the streets, so to speak? You know what I mean? Like, do you have those people? No. They never do, but the, but it's a diverse board, you know, because someone was in engineering and someone was, that's diversity to them, it's wild. The first thing that I would suggest is to incorporate more diverse voices into your organizations and listen when they speak. I think that is a great place to start. Like you said, to listen and then have diverse people within your organization. So you're doing those both listening and having different perspectives so then your perspective your mission even could change because you have people who have bought into this mission speaking to those different areas where they're not always listened to or not um, paid attention to because they aren't represented internally Um, so I think that's a great point to internally um, show up as you say you want to Right. And no one and done either. It ain't got to be one Black person on the board. Make sure that there's diversity amongst that too, because we keep saying it. We're not a monolith. Correct. Right. We have different experiences. So don't limit it to, okay, I have, don't check the box. You know, there's a lot of, it's a lot of box checking. Really do the work, right? Really be, you, people have to really want to do it too. Like, if you don't care, you better bring in somebody who does care, right? Like if you're indifferent, pull somebody else in and say, listen, I need you to head this up. I don't know what to do with this, but it it would behoove people to do it at this point. And could you share with the audience like an example of one individual or one small business's experience with Cocopreneur and how they were enhanced or supported, benefited from your service? Um, or services. One of the things that happened after um, after George Floyd and the protests that happened in Pittsburgh, there was vandalism in the city. Two black businesses in particular were vandalized. So I started this fundraiser and the businesses themselves, that's kind of the small part of the story, but the larger part is that I was able to start this fund and give out many grants to black businesses who were affected due to COVID, right? Like the people who had to close their doors and lost a bunch of revenue. And they were on the brink of having to close their doors permanently. Um, One business in particular is a business called Love Rocks Cafe. Someone operates a cafe inside of a library. And when COVID happened, everything shut down for her. So it was very hard for her to prepare meals, even at like half capacity. And she was about to quit, like quit. And I, I sent her a message, I said, hey, hold on, okay, I have this money. I just want to make sure that I'm doing things right on the on the front end, on the back end, right? So, so that I don't get hit with all types of crazy taxes. And then I'm going to give you all the money. Hold on, you know? So she, she held for a minute and I was finally able to approve, you know, a $5,000 grant for her. And, you know, she was highly emotional about that and highly grateful. It was, it was a very touching moment for me. I think it changed a little bit about um, what I wanted to do with Cocopreneur as well. Just seeing the impact that that, and that's $5,000. If you're in business, you know $5,000 is nothing. But that was enough for her to pay rent, pay some backdated bills, and feel better about continuing business, right? So 
that and, and I, with the round that I did for her, there was another 13 businesses that also got grants. So all of them kind of had that same kind of like thing. One woman, I'll give you another one. <laughs> she, I gave her the grant and she immediately, immediately turned around and gave out small scholarships to some folks in the community uh, who were students. And they were like $500 stipends that she like had an essay content. It, and it was just like, that's what I've always wanted to happen. Like I've wanted to have this effect where you give and you're giving is a catalyst for other people to give and do great work, right? And that's always what I thought it would be. You know, it's just this very hunky-dory, happy-go-lucky, Pleasantville, like everybody taking care of everybody type of thing. And that's always what I've wanted. So to see even a little piece of it was like this actualization that is very hard to describe. But it's it's like, this is what I wanted. This is what I envisioned for the past five years. This is it. It was, it was nice to, to feel it and see it and witness it. So I hope that answered the question. It did. No, um, I think it illustrated well how you are impacting your ecosystem. Um, and so I know you're serving Pittsburgh. What other, like what areas are you working with specifically? Uh, so I, I say the greater Pittsburgh area and there is like um, seven or eight counties that are considered greater Pittsburgh. So it would be those uh, couple of counties. So it's it's Pittsburgh itself, but the surrounding areas as well that don't get a lot of attention. You know, some things are very city of Pittsburgh specific. It does kind of leave the people on the outside of the city out. So I didn't want to do that. And I wanted to, I mean, the more capacity I have, the further out I will go. I just want to make sure that I can do that at a rate that is fair. You know what I mean? I don't want to give people crumbs. I don't want to do that. I want to be able to give them something of value and give them a, a good thing, not, not just something kind of thrown together. As much as I grow with that, I, I just will keep kind of branching further out. What would be the top two things you would need to grow? Funding. Mm -hmm. So I need funding in a major way. And what else would I need? I think money is the thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like the money will allow me to hire, you know, um, a business development manager. It'll give me access to technology developments to do certain things on the site that I want to do. But that's the biggest thing. I think because of the network that's been fostered through Cocopreneur, I have everybody that I need, you know what I mean? Like uh, people have skills and gifts in this network. Um, I just want to pay them. Um, and so how can people follow you, get into contact with Cocopreneur? How can they support? Yep. So on the social media side, you can find Cocopreneur on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at the same handle, at C-O-C-O-A-P-R-E-N-E-U-R-P-G-H. It's Cocopreneur P-G-H. And then the website for Cocopreneur is just cocopreneur.com. And if you want to contact me directly, you can reach me at Camille at cocopreneur.com. And that's K-H-A-M-I-L at cocopreneur.com. So I think that that's that's all of it. <laughs>
Thank you. Now we'll be sure to include that in the show notes so people can follow up with you. Thank you so much again, Camille, for your time. Thank you. This episode brings season two of Forging Forward to a close. But our journey to learn more about equitable entrepreneurial ecosystem building does not have to end here. To learn more about our work, be sure to check out the important links included in the show description or visit forwardcities.org. Until next time, support Forging Forward by subscribing, telling a friend or colleague about the show, rate and leave a review, and most importantly, take care. Forging Forward was made possible by Forward Cities. Many thanks to Christopher Gergen, Faye Horwitt, Nicholas Gunkel, Michelle Benham, Hassan Bazi, Simone Fogg, Juan Garrett, Bernard Alexander, and Camille Scanlon. Oh, and before you go, we wanted to let you know that later this month, we will be releasing a bonus episode of Forging Forward. Be sure to subscribe and follow Ford Cities on social to be the first to know when it's released. Thank you.